Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hello, I'm Sherry Hoyt, and I'm your host for today's interview with Adi Dewisha, author of The Paymaster, a fast-paced political mystery thriller. Before we start, let's learn a little bit more about Adib. Adib Dewisha was born and raised in Iraq and educated in England, where he received his Ph.D. from the London School of Economics in 1974. Until September 2016, he was University Distinguished Professor of Political Science at Miami University, Ohio, and is the recipient of many prestigious fellowships and awards. In addition to over 80 academic and public policy articles and book chapters, Dr. Dewisha has 12 scholarly books, the most recent of which are new and expanded editions of Arab Nationalism in the 20th Century, Iraq, A Political History, and The Second Arab Awakening. Since retirement, Dewisha has turned to fiction with the publication of his first novel, The Paymaster. The Paymaster is a tightly written and intricately plotted novel with many unanticipated twists and revelations. The plot is complex but not complicated, and while the narrative moves along at a tempo that makes it difficult for the reader to put the book down, there is enough space for character development so that the reader feels intimately connected to the characters at every juncture of the novel. Adid Dewisha is married to Dr. Karen Dewisha, author of the best-selling book, Putin's Kleptocracy. He has a daughter, Nadia, a son, Emil, and a recently arrived beautiful grandson, Theodore. For more information about Adid Dewisha and his book, The Paymaster, visit outskirtspress.com. Hi, Adid. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi, Sherry. Thank you for having me on. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I was uh, born in uh, Iraq and lived the first 15 years of my life there. Uh, Then uh, the uh, 1958 revolution occurred. Uh, A lot of people were were being killed and dragged in the street. So my parents decided I should get out of there as quickly as as I can. So I went to England. And then I spent the next 25 years uh, in England where I had most, uh, all of my education from uh, completing my high school all the way to getting my PhD and then working in academic institutions over there. And then in the mid-1980s, I came to the United States. I'm married to an American girl who I met in England. We spent 15 years in around the Washington, D.C. area, and now we're in Ohio. And what is The Paymaster about? Well, The Paymaster is about a man who lives in Washington, D.C., is uh, very rich, uh, lives the privileged life, but hides a very dark secret. And that is, he is a mole. He is a member of a an organization that at one time was a liberation movement in the 70s uh, and then kind of uh, turned into basically an assassination bureau. Uh, so he has these strings of uh, conscience and uh, he resolves this uh, dilemma by divulging a secret to a young uh, reporter and from then on, things <laughs> multiply and uh, take and go in, in various directions, in directions that he had not anticipated. And so it's, a, it's a basically a political uh, thriller about how people uh, kind of uh, do things without realizing what these things could, uh, could lead to. There's a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of corruption, uh, and in the end, there is a, uh, a sort of redemption uh, for this man, kind of a redemption that uh, that is not full because he's always going to be a target. He's always going to be looking over his shoulder, or at least he felt he feels that he did the right thing. Mm-hmm. 
That sounds like a great story, and I know our reviewer really enjoyed it. I am, by the way, very, very uh, kind of thankful and grateful for that. I, I read the review, and uh, I was very magnanimous of him. Well, thank you. He likes to brag about how he can figure out the story ahead of time, and that wasn't the case with your book. So (laughs) (laughs) that's the sign of a good thriller. (laughs) Yeah, well, I actually uh, also uh, worked a lot on trying to kind of uh, write not just a thriller, but a pretty, if I may say so, an elegant uh, thriller. You know, I told you I spent 25 years of my life in, in England, Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I kind of grew up with uh, with English writing, and uh, I always kind of liked the structure of sentences, which probably is not very popular here in the United States, because if you read my book, you'll see that I do like long sentences. I yeah. like to kind of, uh, you know, sew together phrases and sentences with semicolons and colons and, and commas and so on. And that's, I think, very English. And I like doing that. Uh, And I, I, you know, I I tried very hard to kind of write a novel that's not just a a page turner, but a nice, uh, you know, a good novel to read. I tried at least to write good prose, uh, very much in the English uh, tradition. And I, I don't know how it will go with American readers, but uh, but still, your your reviewer thought it was very good, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, where did you come up with the idea for the storyline? You know, one admission is that this novel uh, and another one actually were written in the early 1990s. So the the actual plot and the main characters uh, were written then in the 1990s. I had. Um, it was like almost like my midlife, early midlife crisis. <laughs> I was teaching, I was writing academic uh, books and uh, scholarly articles. And at one time, I just felt I've had enough of that. I really needed to take a break. And so I wrote, uh, I thought, I'll write a novel, uh, I'll, I'll write a thriller. Now, in those days, it was kind of the, the end of an era, uh, but the era was still there where in the Middle East, and that's where I come from. I come from Iraq, and I'm and, and I write my books, academic books on the on Middle East politics and society. The organizations that were calling themselves the Liberation Movement, in fact, were all secular. I mean, people today look back and uh, look at what's happening there, and they think that uh, you know Islamist uh, organizations like ISIS and so on were the order of the day forever and ever. No, it was not. This is very recent uh, right. phenomenon. So in that era, it was still these organizations were secular and they were both uh, national liberation movement. Basically, uh, uh, the whole idea was to liberate Palestine and so on and so forth. And so when I wrote that novel, I wrote the plot with that in mind. And I thought to myself at that time, you know, isn't it interesting if if, uh, one of these uh, guys, one of their guys, in fact, is a mall with a lot of influence? in Washington, what, what would he do, how mm-hmm. would he react, and so on. And that's how it, uh, it came about. And it's very interesting, uh, you know, your listeners and readers, maybe many of them are actually uh, probably writers uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and probably will agree with me that you really don't know at the beginning how this thing is going to go and how this is going to end. Uh, you right. just sit and write and things come to you 
and the plot gets more and more complex <laughs> and you're going in different directions and you're trying to tie them together and so on. But that's how I actually uh, start, started it. It was in an era where these secular liberation movements, were, some of them were turning into assassination uh, bureaus uh, for dictators and so on. And uh, I thought that would be very interesting, particularly if we have uh, one of their guys here in Washington and see how the plot develops with him as the central character. Uh, and so I kind of wrote it in the 1990s. Couldn't uh, get it published. It was very difficult to get agents and so on. And then I spent about uh, five years on these two novels. And I thought it's time for me to go back to my, uh, to my academic writing. I presume my midlife crisis had subsided by then. <laughs> and, so, and so I went back to, um, to academia. Uh, and only in 2015, when I was thinking, that's it, one more year and we're going to retire, uh, we went to Puerto Rico in, um, in Christmas for, for three weeks during the winter break. And I took it with me and read it. And I thought, you know, this is interesting, but boy, does it need to become a little bit more modern. <laughs> and so I spent nine months uh, kind of working over the characters, bringing it up to date and, uh, and trying to kind of make it a novel about, about kind of terrorism, about espionage, about these kind of things, but still wouldn't sound uh, dated to, right. uh, to someone who's reading it today. Yeah. So did you have the whole thing basically written in 1990 and then you put it aside and then just you picked it back yeah, up in I, 2015 and, and added to it and updated it? Yes, and, and, it and, and particularly yeah. worked on the characters. I mean, yeah. uh, I would say 75% of it was written in 1990. The plot is exactly the same. It hasn't changed. But as I read it again uh, to a year and a half ago, I could see a lot of loose ends uh, that I had left. So I worked very hard to tighten up these and on the characters to sharpen them more and to um, and to make them uh, more modern. I mean, I couldn't make them if if I really wanted to make them modern in the sense that we know of today in terms of novel writing, mm -hmm. I probably would have made my main character George Haddad into some kind of a terrestrial being uh, <laughs> that uh, dis disappears in a puff of smoke probably made this woman, Tessa Bernard, the reporter, into, into this kind of very intelligent, very ambitious, very beautiful uh, woman during the day, but, but at night she turns into a, into a cobra or something and goes killing people <laughs> by stinging them. I mean, this is where it seems to me much of the novel writing, and particularly thrillers, is going these days. Uh, but I actually didn't go that far. I'm still very yeah. traditional in the in my writing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a different genre. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's the one that seems to be very popular and sells and all that sort of stuff. But anyway. Yeah. 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 I think thrillers, and particular political thrillers, they don't ever seem to go out of style. I think they're always popular. There's always a yeah. There's always kind of a readership for them. I, I agree. Talk about the differences between writing uh, nonfiction and fiction. Well, academic writing is very restrictive because mm -hmm. of the very nature of scholarship that you can't write anything without having to make sure it is uh, supported by, uh, by a volume of data. You can't just go on and say whatever you want. So you really need to support everything. And therefore, it's very restrictive uh, from that uh, point of view. 
I mean, I remember uh, when I was at graduate school in uh, the London School of Economics in England, uh, we had a speaker, you know, very famous uh, kind of uh, political scientist. And he said that the dream of any scholar is to write on one page, on a page, to write one sentence, and the rest of the, uh, of the page is all footnotes of the, <laughs> of, the, of the data that they have. You just write one sentence in a page, and the rest is all footnotes. That's an exaggeration, but basically that's what academic work uh, is. Okay. Um, I, tried, I tried simply because I love writing. I tried in my academic, uh, my scholarly works uh, to write, again, if I may use the word elegant uh, prose, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, usually my re- the reviews uh, say, say that. But still, it's not like writing a novel where it is so much more creative. You mm-hmm. can kind of come up with all kind of characters. You can come up with all kind of situations. As long as you can tie them together, to make them look at the very end to be coherent, uh, you could do whatever you want. I can sit and create a character and make him or her into the person I like, into the person I despise, uh, into uh, somebody who is wily, uh, somebody who is a hypocrite, and so on and so forth. Uh, this kind of freedom, this kind of creativity, you, you can't find in academia, but in, you, you can let yourself go so to speak, uh, when you're writing uh, a novel. You do whatever you want and nobody can come and tell you, but how do you support this? <laughs> or, or how could you have said that? It's a, you know, I can come up with uh, some document that says this never happened, you know? Uh, you can create all kinds of things. And I, I find that very exciting, particularly after spending a lifetime uh, writing uh, you know, uh, scholarly books and scholarly articles. It's nice just to feel that you could do whatever you want, uh, nobody looking over your shoulder and saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, you can't support that. <laughs> <laughs> right. There are no boundaries in fiction. Yep. Inside Scoop Live is a global internet-based broadcast specialized in interviewing published authors about their current books and their areas of expertise. Join us and hear both well-known and upcoming writers talking candidly about their life, experience, as well as the business of being an author in today's literary world. Always interesting and current, we strive to bring our audience high-quality discussions that spotlight a vast diversity of authors in the field today. Our interviews are available 24-7 through direct podcasts, as well as MP3 download from your computer for your convenience. Please visit us at InsideScoopLive.com. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Today I'm talking with Adit Dewisha, author of The Paymaster. To learn more about Adit and his book, visit OutskirtsPress.com. What do you like to read? Well, from a very early age, I realized that I, I knew, even when I was kind of like a young boy, seven, eight years old in Iraq, uh, I used to, you know, translations and some Arabic literature about uh, kind of politics, uh, mm-hmm. about mysteries. I, I used to like that. And then I kind of, you know, in the 60s and 70s, uh, I loved the, uh, the thriller writing and the spy novels of that era. You know, John Le Carre, Jeffrey Archer, Ken Follett. 
Alan Furst, later on, oh, Frederick Forsyth, all of these guys who wrote mainly in the 60s and uh, 70s when I was kind of still a very young man. But I absolutely devoured uh, these uh, books. John Le Carre is my favorite writer. And I think some of my writing reflect that kind of uh, writing. I also liked actually in that era very witty writers uh, and main, and almost all of them were English. I was in England, of course, but still mm-hmm. to this very day, you know, John Mortimer, Kingsley Amos, David Lodge, Malcolm Bradbury, all of these guys wrote a very kind of witty satire of uh, British society and the class-based system and mm-hmm. were kind of really very uh, satirical about the upper classes and their peculiarities. Uh, so this is what the kind of literature I used to read. And that's where I, you know, my love for <laughs> for long sentences <laughs> was uh, was nourished by these, uh, these writers. Realizing from the very beginning that I'm not a great descriptive writer. I mean, I cannot sit down here in my study looking around the room and then uh, go into some kind of a description of the walls and the colors and and what I have and uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of the kind of the books and there is a chandelier and blah blah blah. I cannot do that. Um, <laughs> that's not my forte. But I certainly like psychological thrillers. I like to uh, kind of uh, delve into the psyche of a man. I, you know kind of the something like Gone Girl, I thought was really very, very well written. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also like this latest, um, I forget the name, the Paula Hawkins uh, bestseller about the a girl on a train. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so mm-hmm. on. Yeah, yeah, I like these uh, psychological thrillers. And I think it comes out a bit in my book uh, in terms of actually delving into the personalities of these uh, characters, you know, George Haddad and his inner conflict, uh, Ronnie the killer, his, his nephew, and then the, the, the political uh, kind of characters like Gardner and the, and the CIA people and going into the history, into their histories and, and, and how history shapes you as a person, as a human being, whether you like this human being or you don't, but that is the kind of essential characteristics that come up from uh, from that kind of residue of experiences over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like I like writing about that. That's that's what I really enjoy uh, going into people's characters and personalities. But if you say, "Come on, describe to me the your backyard," <laughs> I have no idea how to go about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I think there's a fine line between too much description, you know, and what you really yeah. need to know to move the story along, you know. <laughs> yes. I, I'm curious to hear if any of your family uh, and or friends have read The Paymaster and, and what they had to say about your work. Well, I kind of uh, advertised it on, on my uh, Facebook, except it had been dormant for some uh, for some time. Uh mm-hmm. But some of the friends who have uh, read it, you know, always kind of begin by kind of uh, saying, yeah, yes, of course, I will read it. I'm going to buy it and whatever. That It's almost like an obligation. But I think deep down they think, oh, my God, another of these guys who just sat down and wrote a, 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 a book and, 
and of course got it uh, published uh, independently. I mean, that's, you know, if it's, uh, if it's come up with Simon & Schuster, it might take it seriously. And so it's almost like an obligation. Mm-hmm. And they goes by a month or two or three and so on. And then suddenly I get a call from somebody saying, hey, Adid, I just uh, read your, uh, your book finally. I didn't have time. I'm sorry, but I read it. And I couldn't put it down. This is, I mean, they're absolutely astounded. You can hear it in their voice. They're very surprised that actually I was able to write something that is readable and that they enjoy. It always amuses me how you kind of uh, either meet people in, in the grocery store, in the supermarket, or, or they call you or they email you, and, and they genuinely are surprised that they actually read a novel that they actually liked. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> it's like, is that a compliment? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I presume it's a compliment in the sense that at least finally when they read it, uh, they think, no, this is not bad. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this guy yeah. who, who kind of, you know, is pretty well known uh, in academic circles. Uh, I mean, I've written 50, I have 15 books. Uh, and they know my my scholarly writing, but everybody knows, and they, they all realize that fiction is very very different. Uh, right. And to kind of finish your academic uh, life and your academic writing, and suddenly, within three months or four months, I have a book that is completely different, and it's a thriller. It seems like, uh, oh my God, what are we going to to read here? And, how am I going to see him next and and pretend that I actually liked it and and not and, and not have it being shown on my face that <laughs> that I'm lying? Right, so right. I think in a way they're relieved that they they actually liked it. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> what a great story. Now I understand your wife is also a published author. Tell us a bit about her books. Actually, her latest, uh, her last book was a pretty uh, a bestseller in academic sense. I mean, you know, it's not like it didn't top the New York Times bestselling mm-hmm. thing. But uh, she's a specialist on Russia. And she's also written a whole slew of books. But her latest one, it's called Putin's Kleptocracy, published by Simon & Schuster and got uh, a lot of publicity. And, and wow. um, you know, when she was uh, in good health, uh, uh, she'd gone to the Senate and testified, and, and her book actually is, gets mentioned by various uh, senators and congressmen uh, as an indictment of Putin, uh, especially these days with all the political hoopla about uh, the interference of, of Russians in our electoral process and so on. Yeah, right. so she's a very accomplished you know, academic and scholarly writer and, and professor. It sounds like a really interesting book, and especially, as you said, very relevant to today's headlines. It actually is uh, very good. And she, like me, even though she's American and had come to England for a a year study abroad and then stayed there, uh, she is also very much into the British tradition of uh, style of writing. So her books are actually very interesting to read. Right. Sounds like it. Yeah. I love the title. Well, the, uh, interestingly enough, is that the, if you look at uh, Google, Google the word kleptocracy, before the book came out, I think there was only about like a thousand mentions of it. After mm-hmm. the book came out, and it's like almost in the hundreds of thousands. So oh a goodness. lot of people are using the, the term that she 
almost created uh, description of the political system under Putin and Russia. Wow. It went viral. Yeah, 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 yep. What do you like to do outside of riding? I know you are a fan of European soccer, and I have to admit I don't know a lot about it. Is it different from American soccer? Uh, no, but American soccer is a very new phenomenon. Uh, we, oh. You know, in Europe, it's not called soccer; it's called football, okay. and it really is football because the game is played with the feet. The entire game is yeah. you just basically kick the ball around with your with your foot and you try to put it into the net. The only person who uses his hand is the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. But if you're pr- playing uh, football in, in Europe and, it, and the ball touches your hand, that is a foul. And, you know, uh, and so you have to start again and so on. And this was always amused me about American football because <laughs> American football is all about hands. It should have been called handball. I mean, the quarterback <laughs> uses his hand. The running back uses his hand. Uh, the wide receiver uses his hand. The only foot, the only kicking is when a punter or a kicker uh, kicks the ball. Uh, and so it's almost like um, they kind of uh, appropriated the word football into something that is completely unfootballish. <laughs> this should have been called. And so for that, we now call the real football <laughs> soccer to distinguish it from American football. Uh, no, it's not any different. I mean, the, the your American soccer basically uh, started in the, over the last 20, 25 years in this in this country, and uh, you know it simply follows all the rules uh, of uh, of uh, European uh, European uh, soccer. Um, but you know, if you've lived 25 years in England, and if you were born in Iraq, the rest of the world is soccer mad, is football mad. Uh, right. There's no way. There's no way you can be. You cannot be a devotee of of that of that sport. Uh, and so, right. but, and and the and the standard is very different. I mean, it's a much much higher standard in Europe. If you if you really enjoy football as a sport and all the delicacies and artistry that that you find in that in that uh, in that sport. Um, yeah, European football is, is what you watch. American football has a soccer has a long long way to go before it can reach that those kind of uh, uh, that kind of uh, level that it is played at in Europe. Right. Yeah. And I think that's that's probably ten times more information than you ever wanted to hear about <laughs> European football. <laughs> well. That's funny. I to me it sounds like you watch for hours and nothing happens, and then you get up and go into the other room for a minute and you miss the goal. And I'm like, that was and then the, the goal whole game. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's found itself kind of hard, at least the, the the sport, to really get into the American psyche because the Americans are used to a lot of points and a lot of goals. You know, American football, hockey, and whatever. Um, and yeah. this, as you say. Um, you really have to appreciate the subtleties of that game. You have 11 okay. uh, players attacking and 11 players defending. So it's very difficult to score a goal every two, three minutes. I mean, it's almost impossible. 
Right. But in between, how the attackers are trying to penetrate through the defenders, how they can break a defense, and so on. That's where the game is, and that's uh, that's where the subtlety is, and that's what I enjoy actually. So I don't. Okay. Sometimes I go out and tell my wife, "Wow, it was a great game," and, and you know, my wife would say, uh, "Who is of course doesn't like sports at all?" She'd say, "Well, what is the score?" And I say, zero, zero. <laughs> she says, zero, zero. And you're telling me it's a great game. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, no. someone who doesn't understand the game will never understand that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. funny. <laughs> what can you tell us about your publishing experience, and what advice would you give to new authors? Well, I mean, very quickly, in terms of uh, publishing today, it's a very different animal to what it was in the early 1990s uh, when I first uh, started uh, mm-hmm. trying to kind of flog this, uh, uh, this novel. Self-publishing has become a major business uh, and a major endeavor. If you can't find a, an agent or if you can't find a publisher, and it's really very difficult. I mean, the stories of, uh, of these introduct- introduction letters to say that I have a novel, would you like to represent me? I mean, there are h- hundreds of thousands of them. And, yeah. and some of these agents uh, have hundreds of uh, queries a week and so on. In the, in the old days, that is it. I mean, there's no way, no other way of getting your novel out. But now self-publishing has become a major uh, business and you can, you can get it done. So you try the agents, try the, uh, uh, the publishers, uh, but within four or five or six months, nothing is happening. I would go the self-published uh, uh, route. Uh, I'm very happy with the quality of the book. The, they really did a great job from cover to the uh, to the inside to the back cover. I mean, the uh, the entire thing is very professional. Mm-hmm. I cannot say that uh, my book is any different from what I would have expected if, uh, to get if I had given it to uh, Doubleday, Random House, <laughs> Simon and Schuster, and so on. Yeah. And so the quality of the books are now equal to what you would get uh, from uh, traditional uh, publishers. And rather than have it sitting there and uh, for years and years and years trying to get somebody to pick it up, you know, go the self-publishing way. And if you're younger and if you're into the uh, social media and all of this IT, IT tech and so on and so forth, boy, I would say go that route. Publicize it yourself. Uh, there are all avenues open to you. I mean, of the older generation, and I find all of this new kind of technology somewhat difficult to to grapple with. So maybe I I haven't done as much as I should have in getting it out there. But that's my advice. Don't wait too long. Try to get it published somewhere. But if after six months, nothing is happening, get it self-published. And particularly if you feel, if you think you're really good at all of the social medias, if you're using uh, Instagram, tweeting, uh, of course, Facebook and all of that sort of stuff, and you are good at it, then there is no reason why you wouldn't get the same kind of uh, audience that you would expect if you went with traditional uh, publishers. Mm-hmm. That would be my, uh, my advice. Well, thank you. That's great advice. And I'm excited to hear that you feel you received the same quality of work as you would have from a traditional publishing house. I think that really speaks to how far self-publishing has come just in the last few years. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, in the 1990s up to the mid-1990s, there was, trying, there was no way that you could do that. 
even in the early, at, at the beginning of the century, it was still very iffy. Uh, but uh, that is not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, Self-publishing has come into its own. And as I said, if you can put the effort and if you're good at, uh, at these kind of all these new technologies, hey, <laughs> go with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Adid, thank you so much for your time today. It was really a pleasure getting to know more about you, and I look forward to seeing what you have in store for our readers next. Thank you very much, Sherry. Thanks a lot. To our listeners, thank you for joining me today at Inside Scoop Live for my interview with Adid Dewisha. His book, The Paymaster, is available at online retailers and at outskirtspress.com. And don't forget to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.